Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA. That's Musical Theater College Auditions. And today we've got Ali Mozzie on the show. Ali is a friend and a wonderful actress. You can see her now in Kimberly Akimbo on Broadway each night. Uh, she and Elizabeth go way back to the crybaby days and now both have crying babies themselves. How life comes at you fast. Um, we talk about Ali's unconventional journey, including some early rejections and some disappointments, her perseverance to get where she's gotten today. We also have what I think is an interesting conversation about the concept of quirkiness, because we like to keep mixing it up for you, our wonderful listeners. Uh, for those MTCA students out there, I'll be seeing a ton of you over the next two weekends. We have Junior Weekend, both online and in person this weekend, as well as our December Mock in New York City, and then the following week in San Diego. I look forward to hugging many of you folks at one of these events or if you're attending online I'll be smiling at your face unbeknownst to you uh, things are going pretty well in our personal world we had a great Thanksgiving I hope you all did as well for those seniors out there who might be listening just a quick reminder for anyone who needs it double check those December 1st deadlines do you have everything in for the schools that are requiring that date either for the application or for the pre-screen we don't want you to miss out definitely plenty of schools with later deadlines but we know each year families get frustrated if they miss a school with this earlier deadline or at least one part of that deadline being earlier so triple and quadruple check for me, won't you please? Okay, now that we've all had a panic attack and come back to the episode, relieved and ready to listen, let's enjoy this interview with Ali Mozzie. Well, we are so excited to be joined by Ali Mozzie. Ali has a BFA from NYU Tisch. Uh, she's been on Broadway in Hello, Dolly, Wicked. She also did the tour of Wicked. Cry Baby, Hairspray also did that tour. And currently stars in Kimberly Akimbo on Broadway, an excellent show that I've seen twice. At the time I saw it, I believe it had two MTCA alum in the show and now an MTCA coach. So we're representing Kimberly Akimbo, especially as you join us in the pod. Ali, how are you doing? It's so good to see you. It's good to see you. Yay. Will you start off and take me back a little bit? I ask all my guests to start here. If you remember your 16, 17-year-old self. So if you kind of remember as you were approaching college, maybe before you did the auditions, any of that kind of stuff, what were you thinking about in a school? So what was like a, the mission statement for Ali going, here's what I think I want in a college experience that maybe helped you form the list that you ended up having? Well, I had a big decision to make. I was I was um, equally as involved in soccer and successful at soccer as I was um, in uh, singing and acting. So I kind of had to make a, a choice. Like, did I want to go to college for 
soccer or did I want to um, go to college for performing? And what does it mean to be equally successful in soccer as performing? Like, what is it? Like, how many how many goals are you scoring versus high school awards are you getting? Or like, how are you feeling that? No, I mean, I think I was just doing both at like a really high level for for my age. Like, yeah. And um, and I was probably equally as passionate for both. So it really uh, weighed heavy yeah. on me. Um, and did you think about trying to do both at once? Did you try to think about, is there a school where I could both play soccer and really study acting, musical theater? No, I think what was presented to me, like through, I think probably my mom and like my parents and maybe even like my voice teacher who was very in, influential in my life at that time. I think it was kind of like, at the really was at some point you're going to have to choose anyway. So yep. Yep. let's just like kind of set you up for um, like cho choose now, basically. Yep. I, I love <laughs> that you were representing this, um, this sort of almost cliche from a female perspective on the podcast. Cause that was my reality. Uh -huh. I was a really competitive baseball player. And, but I feel like it's often like, Oh, that jock football guy who's in cast as Valjean and has to make a decision. But I appreciate that we're bringing it for our, our female listeners, especially who, uh, Enjoy the sport. I mean, and I don't know if it was like different. I don't know if it's different now than it was then. I mean, females, like maybe I would have made a different choice back then because like female soccer now is like, is very different than when I was graduating yeah. high school, you know? So it didn't totally. seem like there was much, and this is crazy. It didn't seem like there was much as a, much of a career for as a soccer player as there was. Much more secure career in the musical theater. Yeah, much I know. <laughs> um, and so how did you make this? So so was it, you know, we're talking with parents. Was it, was it talking with, you know, coaches? And how did you sort of end up decide? Was it just yourself of going, I think I love this more? What made you sort of pick which path you picked? I mean, if I'm being honest, I actually felt like, I don't want to fully say I didn't have a say in it. I had a say in it, but it was very much like, I think mm -hmm. like my parents who were specifically my mom, you know, like, it's just like, I just see this better for you, like more for you. I just think like, this yeah. is more realistic. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then you remember I talked with my soccer coach at the time and I was like trying to like weigh it out. He's like, he was like, I don't even think there's a school out there where you could do both, you know, like there's just not time for both yeah. you know they're both so such competitive um, times i also look back too as like i don't know i think it had i gone to school to play soccer i think i would have eventually ended up here anyway i think it would have just taken me maybe uh, yep. a little longer to figure that out for myself you yep. know and did you keep it going at all like did you do club soccer at nyu or did you do intramural stuff in the city or was it like a goodbye at no no i did not i mean nyu let's be honest is not known mm -hmm. for its sports apparently a great quidditch team we learned in some one of our previous trivia games but not uh, every sport, oh yeah. right on yeah I I didn't continue it at all at NYU, but um, I mean, since then I've played, you know, when I was on tour with Hairspray or like even in my off time on Broadway, like I've played in some like indoor leagues and stuff like that just for fun, Super you know. Cool. Um, all right. But so then now having maybe chosen that branch of it, what attracted you to NYU and, and what other kind of schools were you looking at? Did you know you wanted a more academic school? Did you know you wanted to go to school in New York City? Like what made you think, hey, I, NYU is probably going to be a good fit for me? Okay. So probably something you don't know about my history is I did the college audition process twice. I did not know so, that, no. Yeah. So, um, so my senior year in high school, I basically picked all the top schools that mm -hmm. I had heard of for, you know, either vocal or musical theater or like straight drama. Mm -hmm. if, if, I, if I heard like these are the top 10 schools that casting directors and directors know in New York City, yeah. I auditioned for all of them. And I got waitlisted on some. I got some really nice letters from some and then I didn't get accepted to some. I basically didn't get into any of my top choices my first year. And I had... Um, my, my backup school at the time was UC Irvine in California. Mm -hmm. So I went to UC Irvine for a year. And then the next year, 
I auditioned again, but I probably only picked maybe like a handful of, of schools mm-hmm. and I dropped a bunch of them. And then that's when I got into NYU and I transferred to NYU between my freshman and sophomore year. I love you representing that on the pod as well. I feel like, you know, because often we're talking to people who did this process before, you know, a lot of our, our students now might do 15, 20, 22 schools, right? A lot of the people talking about the process were like, it was really hard. I did four schools and I had to choose between Carnegie Mellon and Michigan. And we're like, okay, great. I'm, and, and it can feel a little bit isolating, I think, when you're listening to that to go, well, those weren't my choices. That's not how it went for me going through the process. Yeah. So, so cool to see what a successful career you I mean, honestly, I actually think some of it of not getting in was actually academic. I didn't have great SAT scores. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they based it on now, but at the time, like it wasn't my grades. It wasn't my Uh SAT scores that were going to like get me a spot. Right. You know, but maybe a little easier applying as a transfer academically for you to, as a yeah. To. Because what what my I mean, my dad was smart. He's like, you know what? You just keep you get your keep your grades up. Yep. We're gonna do it again, yep. and and um and that's what we that's what I did. That's awesome. That's so cool. Well, yeah. and I love dad supporting you. You got mom telling you you have to be an actor. That's a more secure uh, secure career, and dad supporting you through it. Uh, that sounds like a pretty good family of it all. Um, <laughs> let's talk through the NYU experience. So, can we just talk about obviously the experience you had was is not identical to how NYU is today, but you know it is kind of a beast of a school. I think it is really unique for. Um, our students in many ways from its size and the way they do admissions, you know, all the different studios, you know, and I think so far in the podcast, we've had like of the NYU um, attendees, I think we've had three dropouts and two people who enjoyed it a lot. So we've had very different perspectives, but what was the NYU experience like for you in terms of how you navigated the studios? I mean, I was, first of all, I was told if you're going to choose NYU, you're you're going to NYU to live in the city. Mm -hmm. You're not going if you want a typical, typical, I live on a campus, I live in a dorm life. Um, we have those things, but it's like you come here and you live in a city. It feels like you're living in an apartment. Mm-hmm. The campus is like all over. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're getting on the subway. So ultimately, my favorite thing about going to NYU was that I was living in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I was seeing Broadway shows at night. Mm-hmm. Some of my teachers were performing uh-huh. on Broadway or in between jobs. I mean, one of my favorite classes I was... Um, it was the original uh, Marius and Les Mis. He taught he taught speech and therapy my first year. At- it can't be speech and therapy. That sounds so intense. But speech and something. Why am uh, I forgetting right now? Voice and speech. No. Voice and yeah. speech. There you so go. If it was it's speech and therapy class, I was like, tell me more about that class. I did take a music therapy class. <laughs> that sure. was cool. For sure. But that's different. But but like like we used to have like he'd call them David's fireside chats, uh-huh. and we would just like do our speech class, and he'd reserve ten minutes at the end of class, <laughs> and we would just ask him questions yeah. about his life and the business yeah. and things like that. And like that kind of stuff I would get from real working professionals yeah. was like, like they were in yep. it and they, they this, this really was like know. a side thing they did is teach us. Yep. So that alone was, was one of the things, the best, one of the best things I got going to NYU. Did you feel like, you know, a lot of people, especially now who are going there might be thinking, Hey, I, I am going to be there, but I'm going to be trying to, you know, establish myself with connections and stuff like that. Did you feel like by the time you graduated, you'd already met some agents and managers or knew some casting directors? Were you using the sort of city or the business that you were surrounding you before graduating? Or did you sort of go through the four years and then hit the ground run? No, I didn't. Uh, the only things I auditioned for during my time at NYU outside of school was like for summer stuff. Uh-huh. stuff. So like I had somewhere to go in the summer. But you were really here in the school experience while you were you were doing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was taking some outside classes, like some outside acting classes too. And like my voice teacher, he taught out of um, Los Angeles and um, New York. So uh-huh. I would take his classes. I wasn't just taking classes at NYU. Yep. 
but yeah, but I wasn't, I wasn't trying to, I mean, I think it, I just knew I was going to finish school. It was really important to my parents yep. that I get my college degree. So that just wasn't. You weren't going to leave partway through for some random thing. Well, what about yeah. the academic opportunities? Did you, how did you um, take advantage of you know, NYU? Obviously you have a lot more academic classes than some other um, institutions. Did you think about, I saw you got a minor in music. Did you think about like, Hey, I really want to make sure I get, you know, I have other academic college experiences or were you pretty much like, I'm here to study theater. Yeah, no, I was just here. I was just here to have a good time and sing and dance and act. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, I mean, look, if I didn't have to take academic classes, great. I mean, look, compared to like at UC Irvine, yeah. I was going to have to finish off and finish off a year of um, a language and I was going to have to get some math and science in. But when I transferred to NYU, I actually dropped any of that stuff. Uh -huh. I was going to have to finish at UC Irvine. Because actually, yeah, I mean, there's like, I, I know NYU is like academic, but a lot of my academic classes were actually funneled still into like the arts. Right. If you do music therapy, you can choose to take, yeah. you know, music related, acting related history of yeah. whatever, where it's, it's you know, yeah. something that's sort of in the, the acting realm, even if it's not directly an acting class. Totally. I yeah. did the same that's, with my education. I took yoga class yeah. for one of my academics. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. Totally. I mean, my I would say one of my non-performing favorite classes of all time was at NYU. It was a Wednesday night class and we would do three hours. And then part of it was like we would go see a piece of theater every Wednesday. Mm -hmm. But like what was cool is it was Broadway, off-Broadway, off-off-off-Broadway. Mm -hmm. Like I saw every kind of thing that New York City mm -hmm. had to offer. And this judgmental person was ready to like judge something that just like wasn't good. But mm -hmm. like what I learned, I was just like, no, like what is this, what is this um, artist trying to say or tell me? Or like, I, I, like the, the way I looked at theater after that, yeah. it wasn't like, oh, this is good or this is bad. No, I had to like dissect stuff. Ugh. And I saw things that like I didn't understand, but I still had to like see where the director or the writer was coming from. And that was massive for me. Totally. There, that, that class. I think it's what's almost more unique. I mean, I'd say Broadway is itself a kind of unique animal, but I feel like Broadway, you can get a sense of whether it's because you come in as a tourist or because you see a tour, like you can get a sense of what's going on on Broadway musical almost anywhere in the country. It's very hard to get a real sense of like what off, off, off Broadway oh, yeah. stuff is happening unless you're here, unless you're seeing like that weird show in a warehouse and like, yeah. what were they doing? And oh my God, yeah. this one part was so good though. Like there's stuff that like, yeah. you know, you just don't experience if you're not, you're not here and not seeing it. No, that's what makes, I love, that's what makes New York theater so cool. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. So then talk to me. So you didn't, we're not, you know, already fully, you know, booking Broadway shows at 22, uh, sophomore year of school. Talk to me a little about that journey from now graduating into, you know, starring on the great white way as you've done. Yeah. Um, what was that, that sort of transition for you? So another, another reason, a lot of the college auditions that I chose to audition for, they also happened to be a lot of the schools that had, um, um, uh, what's it called at the end of your senior year? Showcase? uh, showcases yep. and stuff. Yeah. But at, I don't know what NYU is like now, but at the time for me, because there's so many studios, mm -hmm. like you actually had to audition to, to get into the um, showcase. Yeah. To get the showcase. Yeah. And let's say there was like one, like 10 people that could get picked for musical theater, even though I was a student at music and musical theater uh -huh. while I was there, anybody from any of the studios could audition for it. So I did not get picked for my showcase. I love it, Allie. You, did, you didn't get into the first time around. You didn't yeah. get picked for your showcase. And yeah. yet here you are wearing this Kimberly Kimbo hat. Okay, so tell us. So what did you do? I graduated with nothing. Barely a music class that she's taking. She doesn't get a showcase. <laughs> Poor Allie. Yeah. She spent $600,000 to go to school. I mean, <laughs> what are we going to do here? I know. I graduated. And I actually, I stayed in New York a little bit. But I happened to like break my foot my, my senior year. 
And so when school was over for me, I was like, you know, I'm just going to move back to California where Uh I'm from Uh for a little bit to kind of like rehab, whatever. And like I said, my voice teacher, who's also been like been a mentor and in my life, um, you know, he didn't seem, I mean, he didn't seem phased by all mm-hmm. the no's I had gotten mm-hmm. so far. And um, he knew of this, this, this competition in Los Angeles that one of his other students was helping run. Mm-hmm. It's a massive competition that people fly from all over. And he's like, and basically he's like, look, it doesn't, you winning the competition or trying to win, it's not about that. Mm-hmm. It's just about you getting, there's going to be agents there, mm-hmm. casting directors, yada, yada, yada. So I begrudgingly entered into this competition. I sang in multiple different categories. And yeah, I mean, I, I got an agent out mm-hmm. of it, you know? And um, technically he didn't sign me right away. I think he was, he was, it was my first agent I ever, ever had. And I had him for a very long time, but he, he basically was like, you're really right. Hairs- Hairspray, the national tour of Hairspray uh-huh. was starting to audition. Uh-huh. I was the right age. I was the right type. So he sent me in on that and I had auditions and multiple auditions for that. And I booked, I booked the Hairspray tour. And so he was freelancing with you until now you booked and him. And he goes, it now I'll yeah, He's you. like, we're working together. Yeah, now we're yeah, working together. Now pay me commission. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that story. I mean, it's so funny and so often true of like how people find their first agent or at least maybe their longer term agent. You think you're spending all this time, all this money. Part of the school selection is for that showcase. In your case, you didn't even book the showcase to get into it. But so often people then might leave from that showcase and not have the interest they think they're going to have or they have interest, but it's not the right fit for them. And then you end up getting an agent through some, you know, whether it's a random competition or a friend or some yeah. of these things where you go, how is that the way that I ended up? Um, yeah. Finding that and I have to tell you, like those no's that I got, my my first college audition rounds and the no's of not getting picked was probably it didn't feel great at the time, but mm-hmm. it was like one of the best things mm-hmm. for me. Like, you know, before coming in my U, I was probably a big fish in a small pond, uh-huh. like a lot of us are. And so I wasn't, things weren't handed to me when I got to college. Yep. And I watched people I went to school with because they looked a certain way or they had a certain type, whatever. Um, things were handed to them mm-hmm. in college. It was very easy. And then they got, they graduated and it was very um, discombobulating yep. and, Things weren't easy anymore. Well, my college experience wasn't easy. And I had mm-hmm. to like just keep – it was a great lesson because like you get in this industry and you're still told no. And then what are you going to do? Yep. You know? It's, it's just – It's so true. That, that that scrappiness or that ability to – you know, we sometimes talk about, talk about resilience to be able to take a rejection yeah. and bounce back. I mean that is what the business – no matter how successful you are. I mean even yeah. if you hit a huge thing right out of school, it's still then there's going to be a point It's that kind of down. thing where I think like someone had told me like you could have someone who's like so talented and let's say somebody who's not as talented but they start to work harder. Mm-hmm. I think you can pass that talent up. Mm-hmm. So I think like, you know, like I got told no and I just kept working. Mm-hmm. I kept working at it. I kept working hard and and um, who knows if I'd gotten things handed to me if I would have just been like, oh, this is easy. It's so true. You know? Or how you'd reacted the first time you have that rejection. Yeah, it's, it's so true. Yeah. Um, I'd love to pivot a little and talk about, so you mentioned Hairspray. Great. Yeah. Um, both Hairspray and Wicked, these are roles that you played both on tour and then on Broadway. Um, mm-hmm. How did you sort of navigate these, you know, I don't want to miss, I call them franchise musicals, but whatever, these <laughs> musicals that really exist, and even you saying, and I'm kind of right for the type or for the role, you know, something like Glinda where you go... People even sometimes use the word, oh, this is a Glinda type, or this is someone, you're just right for this thing, or you're just, you know. How did you mm-hmm. navigate that kind of balance of fitting in with what had come before, especially early in your career, going, great, I can I can play what, what's what been done, versus mm-hmm. making the role my own, and sort of what's Ali's spin on it? So how did you sort of navigate playing these roles that have existed before? And we'll talk a little bit about the difference in creating a role. But, but how did you sort of walk into these roles, like uh, in Hairspray or Wicked? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's just the job, right? I mean... 
Hairspray was easy. I mean, in the sense of just like, I was just happy to be there. Mm -hmm. I was for the first time paying my own bills and getting my equity card. And I was like, I'll do, I'll do all the things. What do I need to do? Mm -hmm. You know? And like, look, I, I mean, that wasn't smooth coasting either. I like, I remember, I remember, you know, cause I also understudied Penny when I went out um, on Hairspray. And I think like there were times where I was like, you know, trying things or trying new things. Mm -hmm. And then you get told you can't do that. that. Or you've gone too far this way. (laughs) And it's like, Oh my gosh. And then, yeah, then I feel like a little bit of a dummy Mm -hmm. or, but I guess that's just like part of it. I mean, I guess the same thing with Glinda too. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I started as the standby at first Mm -hmm. and you know, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Did you I feel guess... an, an instinct, you know, when you took it over, when you're playing it on Broadway? Do you feel that instinct to go, I'm going to try to make a stamp of, this is my Glinda, or this is my, this is how I'm going to do it, which is different than other people? You know, I think that when you first, like when you're first going on for the first time, I'm just like, you don't, you're just trying to hit your marks. Uh-huh. You're just trying just to, don't you hit know. the furniture. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't bump at anybody. Don't be like too crazy. You know, like uh, for me, that was a lot of it. But, you know, I mean, Look, I mean, you're at the mercy of a lot of the times the associate director who's trying to, you know, keep these these big musicals as a tight ship. But yep. I'll tell you what changed for me with Wicked is I did the San Francisco company, the closing company of San Francisco for two months. Mm-hmm. And because it was closing that it had already run for a couple of years, the, 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 none of the creatives came out. Like mm-hmm. the associates didn't come out. I wasn't getting any notes This is senior, anybody. right? This is you can do whatever you want now, senior I mean, year. And so, and so I did. Mm-hmm. And that was like, actually, I think San Francisco, that's kind of where I found my Glenda. Uh-huh. Because nobody was nobody was being strict about uh-huh. anything. Stage management, you know, but... And so, um, like, what kind of stuff would you do? What, what kind of play would you do within the role? Obviously, you're not, like, totally changing lines or totally singing completely different notes. But but what are you doing that's sort of making it your own or finding your, your I own... Mean, I mean, I mean, look, there's there's this YouTube video that keeps popping up. When people reference now my Glinda, uh-huh. like, oh, my gosh, that San Francisco, the closing of San Francisco. Uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, I guess I think I just felt free and happy and, like... So if I was going to do one kick and I was feeling good, I'd do another kick uh-huh. in popular. Uh-huh. You know, I don't know. Um, I found a lot more laughs for myself mm-hmm. um, in San Francisco. I wasn't I wasn't shackled in any way. Mm-hmm. I think whether it's just like a, a lift on a certain word that made the line a little bit more funnier, I got to kind of exper- experiment with with that, mm-hmm. I guess. I wasn't going off the rails, but that's where Allie was finding like Allie's Glenda, I think. Oh, I can't wait. Well, when we have some more questions about this, we're going to deep dive into it in a second. But I did want to ask <laughs> a little bit about, because now you're sort of getting to revisit some of this wicked stuff, right? I've seen you've been doing on the, uh, my crack research team said you were in the 10th anniversary of Wicked. I don't know if that's I true. I was. was. I was that 10th true? anniversary Glinda. Very good. And now here you are. This is the 100th anniversary, I think. Tw- 20th anniversary. No, I'm joking. Oh. I know. 100th anniversary. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you're such a good actor. No, come on. Um, but what is it like? So now 10 years later, revisiting that material and those memories and you're kind of talking about it and you're like, this is stuff I did 10 years ago. What is that experience of like, this is now a role that in some ways lives with you for who knows how long, but has, has continued uh, to be an influence in your life. I mean, I've, I had such a good time revisiting Wicked 10 years later. You know, like, the thing is, like, Wicked, those 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 roles for those women mm-hmm. are massive, and you're tired, mm-hmm. and you're, so, and you're doing that show eight times a week. So, like, there'd be a time, like, like after I finished that show 10 years ago, I wouldn't want to walk near a store that was playing popular. I was uh-huh. like, oh, my God, if I hear that song, uh-huh. you know? 
But like I had space from it and like, I'd be lying if I didn't say, I was like, Oh my God. I mean, I couldn't cause I was doing Kimberly Kimbo, but like as the pandemic, we were coming out the pandemic. I was like, they were calling, they were going deep in the benches. Were like, you hoping for that call? Were you ready? And I was like, Oh my God, if I could just go in for like a week, I would do like a week. Of course. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That'd be so fun. Um, okay, great. We're going to take a little break. We're going to run a couple ads and on the back end, we're going to dive deeper exactly where we are on some acting questions. So back in a flash. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, we are back with Ali Mazi, and we're going to dive a bit deeper into, this is often where we do kind of like, uh, you know, a sort of specific slice out of the acting career. Sometimes it's someone's superpower. Sometimes it's, hey, I want to talk about something specific. I have a weird one for you today because you know what? Okay. We're getting we're getting weird. We're loose. This is our San Francisco podcast here. And <laughs> I want to talk about a quality that I've heard you described as for multiple sources. And Uh-oh. I may even agree with this description, but okay. it's a word I'm a little uncomfortable with. So I want to kind of unpack this word and understand a little bit, a bit better, which is that word is quirky. So first off, what is your reaction hearing yourself described as quirky? And what does that mean to you? I mean, if I hear quirky, that sounds really vague. Correct. Always feels that way to me when someone's like, oh, she's so quirky. I'm like, what does that mean? What does that, what do we mean by that? Yeah, that feels vague. So I, I would have to ask an individual person, but like, but like, what do you, what do you mean? I would have to ask for specifics because it seems like a very, like what makes me quirky might make you you might have a different quirky quality. For sure. You know? when, when you see that, I guess maybe especially if you've played roles that have been described as quirky, which I think you have, and we'll talk about maybe some of them a little bit. What does, what comes to mind? Like, what, what do you think uh, if a casting director says, oh, she's really quirky. So make her quirky. Like, what do you use as an actor? What are you thinking? All right, I'm translating that. What am I going to bring to it? You know, I often say in the, the college world, we're often telling students, all right, go find your unique off the beaten path self and bring in mm-hmm. all that, let's say we can call it quirkiness, but I would never tell someone, oh, you need to quote unquote be quirky or act quirky, right? But in trying to nail that down, it sort of some can feel like it can become a trick of like, oh, she's really quirky. It's, you know, sort of uh, mm-hmm. a quality that feels difficult to play. So I guess w- what would you do if you're, you're going for a character that's described as quirky? What about Ali are you bringing to a role that makes it go, oh, I'm, I kind of know what that means or I'm bringing that out? Um, so that you might be described that way. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if, if I'm described as quirky and that's what they're looking for, the only thing that helps me is like, okay, what's the circumstances of the play or the musical mm-hmm. and how do I make that as honest as possible for myself? And that's how you're going to get like me. So I think part of that, there's probably like humor. Yes. There's probably a, like a sense of humor in there. Yes. Um, even though I might not be going in like trying to be funny because I think like the minute I the minute I start being like I'm gonna act quicker I'm gonna act funny like right. I feel like then I lose what you call like my superpower yep. right like 
Um, so I don't know. I just try to play things pretty dang serious. Pretty serious. But now if you're playing a Glinda, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's not necessarily, I mean, you, you, you even to say, is it a funny, is it a humorous role? Is it a more of a leading role? You know, is it, is it, we wouldn't necessarily call that a tr- traditional character role in the sense of a, a musical theater character. But if you're going to bring, I don't know, some, some of your unique humor, like what are you, what are you thinking about that is, and in, maybe in your case, what is Ali's specific humor that maybe would be described as great? What are you well, bringing like, look, in? Like, so, you know, the thing we used to get you know, directed at all the time and, and popular in particular, cause it's, it's a, it, it's very funny. Like Glinda's really serious. Yes. Glinda is really serious about this ridiculous thing that she's going to like make alphabet popular. Yep. And like, if I get really serious about it, I mean, that's like that, that to me, like I had college friends come see me do Glenda and uh-huh. they're watching me do Poppy. Like, oh, that's just Allie at like three in the morning when she's been up all night and she hasn't like slept yet. And yes. she's like wired because she's like overly tired and she's like super excited about something. Yep. I'm like, you know, um, so I feel like I don't have like a really specific answer for you. It's like, for me, it's just like diving into the circumstances mm-hmm. and stuff. Like I actually think what's funny is like when you, when you are so serious about like how excited you can get about something or like how sad something can be like, yep. that's, that's where a lot of that, that humor is, you know? Well, in some ways you're describing you also understanding the tone of the piece of like, you mm-hmm. understand popular is not actually a serious song. So in sort of yeah. the way that you're playing it seriously, quote unquote, there is some element of wink that Ali is bringing to it. So it yeah. seems like you're saying maybe you're trying to maybe consciously take away the wink. You're you're trying to play it as seriously as possible and trust, hey, that song is funny. People know the situation is funny. It will be funny when you yeah. find the freedom that you found in San Francisco within it. Yeah. But I guess I'm it's it's in that in that realm between actually playing the song completely seriously, completely deadpan, and what you were able to find in San Francisco that I'm like, what is that? What is that special magic that Allie brings I mean, to the but then it's like, you know, I'm, I think even found in Glinda, like I started adding this thing where like I'd finished doing something popular and I actually started patting myself on the back uh-huh. because I was like, Glinda, she loves herself, yes, you know, Crushed and it. like, she yeah, slayed. so she's like, you know, yeah, like something like something like like something silly like that, um, which like that wasn't in the that wasn't that hadn't been that hadn't been like a Glinda hadn't patted himself on the back uh-huh. before or like people talk about like when I used to scream in the, in the pillow, I was the Glinda that would, scream. I'd get excited to like a fear and I are going to be married. Mm-hmm. And then Allie needs to express that. And then I see a pillow and I run over and I scream into uh-huh. a pillow. Uh-huh. Um, it's just an expression. I don't know. I'm just expressing myself. Now this totally. is now I'm hearing, and we have a question about this later. But now I'm hearing some of the alley of the soccer player coming out through the the competitive, like I crushed it and I own goal or whatever oh, yeah, thing. Yeah, in yeah, the yeah. you know the I like that. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about Kimberly Kimball. That was my other sort of um, question about these kind of character qualities because mm-hmm. I'll just say I think you've created a really fascinating character, right? Full of heart and depth and some real darkness. But it's also mm-hmm. really fun and funny. Like, I mean, you know, you you wouldn't say, okay, Ali is directly the comedic relief of the show, but always funny in within the context of this kind of complex three dimensional character you've created. So, I guess, uh, how what was the process of creating that? Like, let me just start there. Um, Patty, yeah. Um, let me think. I started creating Patty back in 2019, which seems like forever ago now because I had done the workshop. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know, Charlie. Oh my God, it's been so long. I mean, you, I mean, I do think like like doing it like this piece that David Lindsay Bear is a writer. Like, you do have to understand comedy and drama mm-hmm. all in one. Right, and on he that would line. say that they live very closely uh-huh. together. You know, 
you know, sometimes when if I can't find something within myself, I did this with Glenda too. Actually, if you if you know my sister, you know I'm actually probably doing a, a like an impression uh-huh. of my sister sometimes uh-huh. too. Um, and you know, there's there's you know there's women that I based Patty on um, her her let's just say like meanness you mm-hmm. know towards her daughter sometimes mm-hmm. and maybe like borderline abusiveness. Um, but she, you know, also like playing with a little bit, maybe not, you know, you know, her education, maybe went with the bright, the brightest bulb in the box uh-huh. or whatever, you know, uh-huh. totally self-indulgent. Um, I mean, for me, I actually had to embrace not being liked. Yeah. To, in, uh, yes. Yeah. Yep. I had to really embrace, I, I feel like a lot of my characters thus far in musical theater, there's like a likability there mm-hmm. and I had to be okay. I had to drop that. And it's, it was actually like tough at first for me and my ego, but it's probably the biggest gift I could have given myself as an actor. Well, and, going and clearly the level of empathy that you have for your character makes the audience be able to really empathize with you. I mean, the re- like you, you really, I mean, I, you don't, I don't leave that show thinking, oh, this mom is a villain. I don't leave the show thinking, yeah. oh, she's a terrible person. I leave the show thinking all these people are doing their best. And, and it feels yeah. like that's sort of the goal of, I think, a lot of complex drama is not like, oh, this person's good and this person's evil or whatever. You go, this person is complicatedly trying it's to messy. navigate it's, the mess it's of their life. life messy. Yeah. 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 But can you tell a little bit more about, because you've said important, I think for our more professional actors, sort of what, what we mean by using myself, you said, if I can't use myself, maybe I use my sister. But what mm-hmm. is the kind of process of like, using yourself because i think that's also something that i you would remark you said your your friends say that's you at three in the morning or you know elements of the, what i know of as you i see in that character and something i often compliment elizabeth on i go god that's just like you i mean it's not in that moment you would never <laughs> say exactly that but i really see you in that what is that process of sort of using yourself when you're creating a role um I guess like some of it is like you know like let's like for example like i'm playing a parent mm-hmm and I am a parent. Mm-hmm. So there's just some crossover things. I don't got, there's not, I don't have to like, oh gosh, okay, what is it like to be a parent? What does right. this person to me, mean to be? Like, there's just stuff that like, you know, some of my greatest fears as a parent exist in, in doing Patty and Kimberly. Kimberly well, yes, and I, but and obviously you're, that's not, I mean, I don't want to say obviously, but I'm going to say probably not how you mom your beautiful young boy. I mean, look, right? I hope not. I yeah. hope not, right. But so, <laughs> but in some ways you're still able to use part of yourself to, br- to bring that out. I mean, you, you're saying you're using part of your worst fear or using, you know, uh, h- how are you using, quote unquote, yourself, even though, of course, this character is written very differently, right? This is not mm-hmm. how you would actually act in everyday life. No, but you okay. know what? I, you know, and I've talked to other parents about this, particularly because of the role of Patty. Like, you don't think we've had these thoughts that Patty has uh-huh. said out of her mouth? Uh-huh. Like, I've heard many a parent want to like, I'm sorry, it's true for parents. Like they're, they get pushed to their wits end yep. and they want to strangle their child. Yep. Now they don't hopefully do that. Yep. They don't verbally say the things, but sometimes it comes out yep. and sometimes it doesn't. But like, I think Patty doesn't have a filter. I think, um, you know, many things. I think she pushes people away. Mm-hmm. I think like, you know, she can't do vulnerability very well. Like there's all sorts of that kind of stuff. But, but, um, no, I'm not. I'm not a perfect human being. I yes. might have had more therapy than Patty, and they're like, "Well, this is not how I want to talk to my own son," and I'll do my best. But, but there are times when I'm just like, "Oh my god!" Like I want to say the things. I want to say the things that are not nice yes. right now. So this know? is this process for you almost is like it's an addition and subtraction of going. All right, I can empathize with that thought. Ali would have a filter and not say that out loud. Ali would. So I just remove that filter, and then there, I, there we go. I've got Patty. I've got whatever. Yeah, it's just these yeah. little tweaks. Yeah, it's really a little cool. Bit. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, some of it is like, you know, I wa- I love people watching, and especially people in my own life, and I'm just like, oh, this person reminds me of this. I'm just, what does it feel like 
to uh-huh. be this person and I'll just like try it on and uh-huh. um and act it out like that's my job right um certainly experience we had with our pediatrician who the number of times she said if you've had these thoughts about harming your child, it's okay. Here's a book to read. I was like, we really are not having those. We're okay, whatever. But like, clearly there is some, you know, need to, yeah. to go, let me see that on stage or let me know that that's yeah. okay. I'm, I'm a human being and it's okay that I've at times wanted to do that. Um, the, yeah. Spoiler alert, you don't strangle your child in the thing. It's, you know, it's no. not that whole No, I do not. Get I do the not. wrong idea about Kimberly Akimbo here. We wouldn't want that. Um, no, that's, yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the athletic background. So you mentioned being this competitive soccer player. Do you feel like, I mean, I was hinting at some of the Glinda things that maybe come out um, in terms of we see the athlete, but do you feel like your experience of being a competitive athlete informs your art or, or does it pull away from it at different times? Do you feel like it lives in separate places for you? How, how does the sort of the athlete alley and the artist alley, how do, how do those two kind of um, blend I think, together? You know what, I, what I'm constantly in search of as an actor, um, especially when you do a show eight times a week, it's that spontaneity that exists in sports, mm. the unpredictability mm. that exists like when I played soccer. I mean, you have like, um, you know how the game is played, you know where everybody is, you know the goal, mm-hmm. but like how it all comes together is completely unpredictable. Yep. And um, I strive to hopefully like, and it's it's a work in progress, but like to like that unpredictability or mm. not knowing what's going to happen next um, is very exciting to me when I see stuff like that or when I can kind of like be in the middle of that in, yep. a, in a scene. It's so, it's so well said. I mean, there's a kind of listening that happens on a court or on a field. Yeah. Yeah. that you would dream of for art. I mean, it's impossible because yeah. it is more scripted than it'll ever be in a yeah. basketball game or a yeah. soccer game, but you sort of dream of it. And and there's it feels like a kind of team feeling of like, I don't know why I know this is the right thing to do when the ball swings over there, but we all know it. We all kind of can feel collectively this happened. And so the reaction should be this and we're able to sort of move as one. Um, yeah. That you feel like yeah. you get sometimes in ensembles too. The right ensemble, we go, we all knew what to do. And that, that prop fell or that thing happened and we all sort yeah. of had that collective, you know, hive mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love it. What about motherhood? So you, uh, you, you know, uh, mentioned hopefully you're not the same mother that you are to uh, Kimberly, but um, how has motherhood changed you in, in terms of an artist? Have you felt profoundly different? Do you feel like it's the same, but just harder? Or how has it changed your, your sort of art making your career? You know, somebody said this, like, like, you know, you don't, you don't have as much time for yourself in many areas in your life mm-hmm. once you become a parent. So you really have to just get like quick and wise to um, process. Like I don't have time to get in my in mm-hmm. my own way like I used to. Mm-hmm. I would get an audition and be like, and I'd be like, I have a whole rigmarole, just like mm-hmm. preparing. I'm just like, and I'd be in my head and just like doubting myself. Your, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I don't have time for that. I have to take care of a child. Yep. I just need to like do the work. Yep. Do the work and then you know send it off and then you know forget about it for now and then continue on with my life. Mm-hmm. Um. And I actually think like, I actually think like, let's say like for Kimberly Kimbo, like the more invested in my, I am in my outside work and I can cut off my work brain when I'm hanging out with my family, mm-hmm. the better I am when I come back to work and the more I can invest when I'm at work mm-hmm. and I'm this push a pull, I come home and I'm like, hopefully, you know, refreshed and renewed and, and craving to sit down and be with my, with my family. It's, mm-hmm. it's nice to have push and pull of both and they equally help each other out, I guess. What do you think about for um, your son in terms of the his artistic diet and his athletic diet and his educational diet? You know, you, both your husband also uh, an actor, right? So we mm-hmm. have two artists for parents, right? Yeah. In terms of like, and I think about this with Sylvia a lot of like, I do, certainly don't want to force her into this business. I don't want to like completely restrict her from it. You know, like yeah. how, how do you think about introducing art and education and 
athletics and all those different things into the the balance of his diet? I mean, we kind of follow his lead. I mean, he's into, you know, baseball and he's into golf. I could not predict, I could have predicted golf, Charlie, but we're a little bit of a golf where, family where, now. where do we golf? We go upstate? I mean, how do we, there's, no, there's, there's like a Island, they golf? I asked. There's a nine hole in, in the Bronx. Like it's, it's great. Unbelievable. So we're a little bit of a golf family and like baseball, like we're just kind of following his lead on that. And my, my husband and I both grew up playing sports. So mm-hmm. that's not like foreign to us. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, my kid doesn't naturally gravitate. I think it's honestly, I think it's because uh, he doesn't necessarily want, my kid does not want me to go to work. He wants uh-huh. me to be with him. Uh-huh. So when mommy goes to do whatever she does on stage, like he's not a big fan of it uh-huh. because mo- that's where mommy has to go. It's like working so, at the factory. It's taking mom away. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, but, um, you know, he has zero desire to get up in front of me and perf- get up in front of people and perform. Uh-huh. Zero. And, and that's a, that is totally fine by me. I'm, it's not anything I'm interested in, like, pushing him into doing. He doesn't even really love to play dress-up in any way, uh-huh. you know? Interesting. Um, yep. Can't stand it if I'm taking too many photos, <laughs> too much video. Doesn't, he just doesn't, doesn't want to be the star. Doesn't want to be the center of attention. No, he really doesn't. He just wants to do his thing. He's not, he's not performative yep. in any way. And I love it. That's so interesting. And, you know, and then, you know, yeah, because we live in New York City, he, he I take him to think. He loves the play that goes wrong. Uh-huh. He loves that uh-huh. play. He's seen it three times. Every time somebody comes back in, and part of it's because like he knows it, so uh-huh. like he can't wait to like be the guy who knows it. Uh-huh. You know, this is not going to go well, and I know how. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, we take him to things like you know, I we take him to theater and we take him to all the things. He's not the one like seeking it out by any means, mm-hmm. but but we live in New York City, mm-hmm. so he's he's going to go see that stuff. Yeah, and he's you know he's got actors for parents, so he's going to see stuff. Totally. Uh, I love it. All right. Well, we're moving toward wrapping up. I do want to throw out social media uh-huh. just because I've seen you now posting some wonderful um, wicked anniversary things and all those, yeah. those things. W- what is your relationship with sort of social media or and maybe broad more broadly, like how you how you put yourself out there in the world as you think about, you know, your brand to use a word like that, or, you know, you think about how people are consuming Ali. Um, what's your relationship with with that sort of um production and then also maybe your consumption of, of social media i mean i feel like i was late to the game with social media i i just joined instagram not even a year ago to uh-huh. be honest it's probably why you're popping all over my feed now all the time I'm like all right ali another post good for you yeah i'm Mute. so sorry but 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 now you know so now it's just like it's a way to like update p- people on what i'm doing uh-huh. i mainly use it i really just mainly use it for professional uh-huh. You know, you see, so you won't, you won't see, fo- see photos of their, me, you know, me yeah. and my family. It's pretty private, but, um, but you know, people, especially as a way to promote myself, it's a way to promote my show. Mm-hmm. It's a way to promote, like I'm doing like this thing at Green Room 42 this weekend. And it's a way to promote that. Um, Cause I, what I realized was like, oh, people actually want to know and they actually kind of want to show up and totally. see what you're doing. Um So yeah. And then, you know, I'm having a grand old time being in a, in a, in a brand new show where we get to like dress up. And do like fancy events and be yep. like, look, somebody did my hair and makeup today. Uh-huh. And somebody styled me. I need to document this. Yes. You know? I need a photo of this event for, my, for once <laughs> in my existed. life. This existed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. And what about on the consumption? And do you find yourself often consuming the TikToks, the Instagram? You know, did joining it make you now become more of a consumer? A little bit. Yeah. Like I'll scroll way more on Instagram than I need to. Uh-huh. But oh my gosh, 
Sometimes the internet is so worth it when you come across that one video that makes you laugh so loud. I was like, well, this this was worth it mm -hmm. today. All that scrolling. Oh, meaningless scrolling was worth it for this 30 seconds. Yeah. What, what's it? What grabs stuff. you? What's the stuff that you go, oh, I have to show this. I got to send this to my husband. This is the funniest thing ever. What's, what grabs you off the, the oh online? Oh, my God. This is, let's see. Um, I mean, sometimes it's parenting stuff. Sometimes, I'm so sorry, this is TMI, but like between my husband and even like Steve, who plays my husband in the show, like we are on a um, – um, I'm so sorry. A, f a farting kick right now. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, just like you just, just had me lean forward. I got very excited about what's <laughs> about to come out of your mouth. No, please, a farting kick. Go ahead. Well, no, I mean, like this is where, like like these people are trying to predict like their spouse are like, hey, 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 guess my fart, and someone will like do it verbally first, and then they do it, and sometimes it's close, and sometimes it's close enough. <laughs> it's so disgusting, Charlie. Wait, guess you my fart means I want you to do what's about to come out of my yes. butt with your mouth. Yes. That's now, so to be funny. to be clear, also you probably would want to cut this out of your podcast. No, no, this, this is all staying in. But to be clear, my husband and I, and I was talking to Steve, who plays my husband in my show. I've never. These heard are it. Th we would never. We're like, no, no, no we no, can't do this in no. our marriage. Like, yeah. there is a line. There's a line. But we sure enjoy other people doing yes. it, and it's high, it's highly entertaining. You're voyeuristic farters, is it? You're not going <laughs> to jump in yourself. I will tell you this story because it just happened with Solvay. Um, you know, uh, of course, she's still in diapers. She's beginning sort of the potting training. So we're doing the like, maybe sometimes you do this, sometimes you don't. And so, yeah. um, you know, she farted. I'm going to say it. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we all do. Yeah, okay. sounded a little something like this. Uh, and But then then we heard a, a, a very um, productive fart. We, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Really That's what, what happened. And it was, you know, clearly, okay, great. And we smelled it and we go. All right, Sylvia, we got to change your diaper. We got to change your diaper. No, 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 no. I was like, Sylvia, we have to change your diaper. Like, you know, we just we have to do it immediately. What a diaper's dirty, whatever. And then, and she looked at us, and just as we pulled the diaper open to show her dirty diaper, she goes, "Dada, it's just a little toot." And it was <laughs> actually true. She just a little toot. She made us laugh, and then for the rest of the night, she just had going. It's just a little toot. It's, it's just, just a little, a little toot. toot. And we would laugh every time. So now we've created a monster. That's her favorite joke. My is, kid recently, his 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 biggest thing he's into right now, like he we have this fake poop at our house right now. Uh -huh. And he thinks he's hilarious. He puts it on my pillow. So when I come home at night, That's I've enough. got fake poop, on my, poop pillow. on my pillow. And I talk to him about it the next day. And the grin on his face, it's like the funniest thing. Who would have thought the scatological turn we took at the end of this podcast, Ellie, would not <laughs> have predicted it here. All right, but let's wrap up a little more seriously, okay. um, as we always do, which is just, I'd love to talk to those, um, both the the student listeners, our, you know, our 16 to 20-some-year-old uh, um, listeners, but also maybe the parents out there, just in terms of advice. Um, your your mom forced you into this terrible business. You're not going to force your son in. But um, what, what advice would you have out there for people who want to be a, an Ali Mazi, want to have an Ali Mazi kind of career? Um, what advice would you have to the students and maybe even those parents? I mean, I will say for me, um, as I was going through the audition process and even through college and post-college, like until I got like that that break and my my voice teacher, Edward Sayeg, that's his name. Um, he's, teach, he's taught many of Broadway people, but like he knew, he knew how important it is to support me. Mm -hmm. I needed to hear from him and my parents. I'm doing great. Mm -hmm. Keep going. You're doing great because it's really hard. Mm. And it's a lot of putting one foot in front of the other one. It's a lot of no's. It's some setbacks, but like, you know, we already feel strongly and just like, Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not this. But like, I will say those words, those, the, the encouragement I would mm. get, it's okay. You didn't get this. All right, let's do it this way. Mm -hmm. Like I felt encouraged and that lifted me up, I think, until I kind of like got that first show, you know? By both your voice teacher and your parents, you're saying that, that they both, yeah. yeah, that's. Yeah, they were yeah. really supportive. They were super, super supportive. Yeah. And I know that's not the case for all families. Yeah. That's something we tell a lot. I mean, 
a lot of our very well-meaning parents, they'll just, I think, have an appropriate fear for their kid going, they just got rejected from the school. Does that mean they're not good enough? Does that mean we should give up? Yeah. Does that mean we should, you know, and, and they want what's best for their kid. It's not like they're, you know, know. people who go, ah, they, my child's untalented. And I think she's, it's just going, I know how hard, I know the numbers. I know how hard this business is. It's a very hard place to live in, to be a well of support, even when you're experiencing the rejections for your child. You're feeling like, oh, yeah. I don't want her to be in pain. I don't want to, I want her to be happy. Would this career be happier? Maybe she should be a professional soccer player. Um, yeah, it's hard. That's not easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, anything else we need to plug? We know Green Room 42, it's too late. We've already, you'll have missed it by the time this podcast yeah, is airing. Okay. We know we can see you in Kimberly Akimbo. We know we can follow you at Ali underscore Mozzie and figure out how to spell that on your own. It's not easy. Um, <laughs> anything else we need to plug um, out there for people to see you or, or other ways to follow you? I think I think we're good. Uh, come, yeah, I'm, yeah. Okay, Instagram, great. Instagram, Kimberly, come see the show. Write to me. Come say hi at the stage door. Yeah. W- yeah. What do you do for people at the stage? Or you give a little signature? You, you, would you play a, a fart noise for them? Or how, what's a little? I'll say this: If you're coming to the stage door, I'm really fast after the show. Okay. So Gotta get, get to that stage door quick, people, because go I am like out. Yeah, because well, I'm not a morning person. If I don't get home mm-hmm. and go to sleep right away, mm-hmm. getting up at six forty-five in the morning is not not cute for anybody in my house oh boy do i hear you there um <laughs> well ali i know you got to go do another show now um yeah. thanks so much for the time today this was such a joy to get to do of course thanks for having me toot toot i hope you enjoyed that quick and dirty episode quick because ali was squeezing us in between her two shows on a wednesday and of course dirty because of that surprisingly blue turn ali took us down uh, because of the shorter episode, I opted to go no game this time, though for my game truthers out there who tell us they're the only reason you listen, fear not, we will be adding the game back in with our next artist episode, which we already recorded with my former classmate, the great Ian Harding. Ian was one of the stars of Pretty Little Liars, so I make him categorize celebrities he's worked with into one of those categories. It will be mildly entertaining, I assure you. As far as takeaways here, I do have to shout out Allie's direct quote about hard work and slow progress winning the race, turtle and hare style. It's almost as if she listened to our last takeaway from the Carrie Butler episode, or maybe read my blog, which is posted this week, all about the same. Though, of course, we recorded this episode well in advance of that, but great timing from Allie there for sure, and we underline and co-sponsor her point there. Uh, I think Ali, and to some extent me, said most of this in the episode, but maybe worth expanding a bit more on that discussion of the word quirky. You know, I really picked that word at random. It's often used in kind of a character description and something that I think was Ali has been described as, but you could replace that with many other descriptive words that you might use in a character uh, description and really just a way of talking about how we approach character. Uh, I think Ali's conclusion was really smart. And even if it wasn't the most eloquent back and forth conversation, as I think I basically gave her a near impossible question. I think that's for a good reason. So much of the answer is a bit boring in the idea that it needs to come from what is uniquely you. And you also start getting into a really difficult and dangerous conversation about style and tone when you talk about what makes something Glinda or not, right? As our world gets slowly taken over by AI, it makes me think of those machine learning experiments where we try to get artificial intelligence to recognize a picture of a cat or I think comedically in the TV show uh, Silicon Valley, it was they were identifying like hot dog or not hot dog and could a computer tell from a picture. You know, in the complex classification of our human minds, there are definitely some rules for what feels like Glinda or not Glinda. 
And some of that comes from an intuitive understanding of the tone of a piece. But as artists, we must know that we won't achieve our Glinda by just replicating someone else's that we've seen. In fact, the things that come most from us and are going to be most interesting might be the places that most diverge from what came before, right? Those may feel more truthful and real in your body than the replication especially when you talk about something as esoteric as quirkiness, right? It's not just something that you can get exclusively from watching another person. Your version of quirk is going to be different from Bernadette Peters or Sutton Foster's or Annalie Ashford's or Ali Mozzie's, right? And you doing an impression of their quirk is almost certainly going to feel hacky. I did, however, really enjoy the conversation about using family members to inspire character choices. You know, there's something about pulling from the odd specifics of life that almost always lead to really interesting choices. Ali talked about uh, pulling a lot from her sister. Elizabeth and I have talked about how much of her mother I saw in Mary Jane. Similarly, I had a moment when working on a new play where I had a number of friends remark on this inspired choice they felt I made, which I just completely ripped off from my father. Uh, my character was opening a gift he really disliked, and I had at that point almost almost 30 years of experience watching my father open gifts that he hated. And I just brought him up on stage with me for that moment. 30 years of watching my dad hate gifts. I got to have this cathartic reliving and releasing moment for a paying audience. And I got to get a big laugh. Um, I recently heard someone say, all new businesses are usually bad ideas. If it was a good idea, it would already exist. And I think there's something to that idea for actors. If we're running toward the stuff that already exists, you're going to be swimming in a stream that a lot of other people are trying to swim in. It's in the exploration of what is unusual, and in this case might seem like a bad idea because it doesn't yet exist, but that you think is a good idea, that we're often going to find your unique genius and the imprint you're going to put into the world. Well, that's it. Another episode of My Imprint on the World, produced by Megan Cordier and Kelly Prendergast. Why haven't you left a rating and review for us? Is it because you secretly aren't enjoying the show? If so, please do not leave us a review. But if you're loving it and have just been putting it off for a year, please consider throwing us a five-star review with a few words about why you love the pod. You can also follow us at Mapping the College Edition on Instagram, MT College Editions on TikTok, and check us out at mtcollegeeditions.com for more information on our individual coaching services. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, I invite you to guess what your own next fart will sound like. I think it might be harder than you think. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello.